This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Welcome, everyone, back to the broadcast. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And I am joined not only by Heavy Machine Tools next door, but by Tracy Pearson, who I like to think of as a heavy machine tool in a lot of ways. How are you, I was gonna, I was going to say, I can be a heavy machine tool if you'd like me to, Dave. <laughs> literally as i was starting some sort of motor began humming next door they've been doing something next are door sure, are you sure that's just not in your mind possibly for about a month and a half uh grinding concrete they put in a hot tub but i have no idea what they're doing now <laughs> well uh, you uh, this is what i want you to do mm-hmm. i want you to walk over there in your board shorts got it with some sunglasses and Got like it. a straw hat and just, yeah. and with a drink with a pineapple and with a little umbrella in it and say, so where the F is the jacuzzi? I think that's right. Uh, I think that's I, correct. Everyone can picture you doing that too. Yeah. No, that's me. Yeah. Um, we got a lot to talk about here on this fine January 26th morning. Uh, signing day is coming up. Isn't that exciting? There's so many things. Ha- oh, wait. Like, even if UCLA did recruit, this signing day just sucks now. But we do have to talk about some football stuff. We do have to we talk do. about uh, basketball. Um, you had some interesting posts about roster stuff. But let's start with football, Tracy, here yes, on Friday, January 26th, because uh, there's kind of a chance that the coaching carousel isn't quite over. Um, there's uh, So we talked about it in our three-pointers earlier in the week that there was an additional report about um, Chip Kelly potentially being an option, at offensive coordinator. I think that report was for the Seahawks. We had heard back a month ago that there was some, there was some real smoke that, you know, it wouldn't be out of the question that Chip Kelly might end up looking at NFL OC jobs. Uh, we heard one thing about Iowa about a month ago, which was crazy that he'd talked to, or that some intermediaries had talked uh, in some form or facet about um, the Iowa offensive coordinator job. And now there's maybe even more smoke. Uh, Yes, there is. Um, I've heard it from a lot of, well, a few reliable sources that there's, it's, there is, it's not just smoke. Smoke implies that it's just kind of a rumor. I guess, or no, I guess if you have smoke, you have to have a fire where there is smoke. What is there, Tracy? Yes, that's true. So yes, there's smoke and there is some fire. As I wrote in that post yesterday, there is a possibility um, that Chip Kelly would join Dan Quinn um, with the Seattle Seahawks. If Dan Quinn gets that job. Um, I have also further heard uh, that if Dan Quinn got the commander's job, is that what they're called now? Who knows? Okay. I like to uh, call them still the Washington football team. Yeah. The Washington football team. Uh, well, it's also kind of confusing because Seattle is in Washington. And when you've said Washington, I get confused because Washington is also a college football team that's located in Seattle. And Dave, since you're kind of from the Northwest at times, why hmm. is the state of Washington named Washington? Did he ever go there? No, 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 certainly not. Uh, he was a land surveyor, but at that time, the wilds of uh, Appalachia were, was really where he was surveying land. Uh, so they just decided to name land that's completely unassociated with him that's 3,000 miles away after him. Yeah, I mean, he had some clout. Uh, he, he definitely had some reach. Um, he, he had a high social score, so it makes sense. I mean, look, Columbus 
I mean, look, was he a good guy? No, but he's got like four capitals of different places named after him. That's crazy. That is crazy. And he didn't, yeah. he didn't go to all really, of them. Don't really get it. I don't no. get it. But um, <laughs> we just teased everyone really, really <laughs> <laughs> unnecessarily. Uh, I've heard that there is a possibility that if Dan Quinn got the Washington job, that Chip Kelly could opt for that also as the offensive coordinator. Now, people are skeptical why this would happen. And Dave, we will admit our own skepticism, correct? I I, I use this analogy when Tracy was talking to me off the record, but it does feel to me as a, um, you know, just a battered human, uh, like a little bit like Lucy holding the football, but it does sound like there's some legs to this. Yes. Um, so uh, everyone uh, first wants to discount it because they don't think it makes sense. I've explained this on the forum a few times. I'll We'll just go over it again. So Chip Kelly in the last few months has started to read the writing on the wall. Um, this, is come, this is not my speculation. This is what I've heard from various sources. He started to he can see, read. He can read my handwriting. <laughs> you went into the offices and started <laughs> writing on the wall. So what does that say? Oh, Dave Woods. He signed it. What an idiot. <laughs> what a dope. Um, that. Uh, and it was, it was a lot of it was coming from, from what I've heard from recruiting. Uh, they were trying to recruit the transfer portal without much NIL and they were even struggling to get players to officially visit. Um, it was a uphill battle. As we've said, some of the transfers that they've gotten there, there really isn't a big impact, immediate impact uh, guys who were offered by other, um, you know, vast amounts of power five programs. So I think he, he, from what I've heard, he started to get the sense that, yeah, this isn't going to look good next year. I probably going into the Big Ten with that schedule, which is tough. Realistically, I might have one year left. Um, so getting that into his mind, and and nothing against Chip Kelly at all. If he did have that um, realization, I give him a lot of credit because coaches don't do that at all. Coaches are delusional about their own talent. Um, the, the, whenever you're talking about a coach, this is what you should say. You should start the by if you're trying to understand why they're doing it, you start the sentence off by saying, "This is the coach talking." I'm so good that blank. That's the basic mindset of most coaches. I'm so good that I can win without recruiting. I'm so good that I don't have to recruit the offensive line this year. I, I mean, I'm so good that I don't need a great defensive coordinator apply it to anyone and it works. So just keep that in mind. So I give if from what I've heard, he had this realization. And if this is true from what I've heard, it's, it's, I give him credit that he started to recognize, wow, I don't, I don't see a future at UCLA. It might be one more year. So people are saying, why would he walk away from a head coaching salary at $6 million a year? Let's say he's guaranteed a few years as an offensive coordinator at $2 million a year. Dave, neither of us were math majors, but you do that quick math. Three years guaranteed at $2, so that's two times Carry three. the one, divide two by seven. $2 a year times two dollars a year plus four. I think that's root. six. Is that yeah, six? I think it's six. I think you're correct. Essentially, it comes out to just, you know, not much of a difference between what he would have made. Um, and he would like to get back to the NFL. I think he wanted to get back to the NFL anyway. Um, but I think he was starting to like coaching at UCLA a lot before NIL kicked in. <laughs> uh, when the transfer portal kicked in, I think he was liking it because that made recruiting kind of easy for him. But then the NIL came in and now it's back. And a lot of college coaches are saying, yeah, I don't like, I don't like coaching in the college ranks anymore. So um, he's thinking, I want to get back to the NFL. Um, right now, 
let's say what was his what was the record this year? He's coming off three winning seasons, right? Let's yeah. say he goes, let's say he goes four and eight next year. His marketability, no matter how much he's respected in the NFL, you you turn in a four and eight season, it's gonna your mark your your credibility is gonna take a little bit of a hit. Um, so he probably is striking when the iron is at least a little warm right now. Mm-hmm. And then for Chip Kelly, understandably head coach uh, for a long time, if he's going to go take an offensive coordinator position somewhere, which the theory would be, I go in, I kill it at offensive coordinator, and then I become uh, a candidate for a head coaching job. I mean, look at the, look at the people that they're hiring in the NFL. Chip Kelly, if he did well as an offensive coordinator, we have to all admit would be a candidate for a head coaching position easily given who they're hiring as head coaches. So that's what he's, that's what he's thinking. But then Chip Kelly wanting to go coach in the NFL, he's not going to just go coach for any rando that he doesn't know or get along with. Um, We talked about Bill Belichick before he's friends and close with him, but he's close with Dan Quinn. They go back, they go back a long way. Uh, I think he respects Dan Quinn as a coach and a person. I think it's someone that he could work with. Uh, If Dan Quinn gets a job this year, You'd have to think Chip Kelly saying this is this is my window of opportunity. Um, I might not get this opportunity with a guy. I, I, I think there are so few head coaches that Chip Kelly in the NFL that Chip Kelly would work for as an offensive coordinator. Um, so this is this is it. Um, the words being used around in some circles, uh, like agent circles, is off. This is his off ramp. Um, I've heard that word being used by separate sources. So that's, that's the mindset behind it. To me, it makes perfect sense. Uh, I'm hoping we don't have to explain this again because we will. Okay. Yeah. Um, especially if it doesn't happen very quickly. Um, yeah. Then it's going to be just every day. a new. And again, we're not guaranteeing this is happening. We're saying, we're not even saying this is likely. Even if it were likely right now in this space, I wouldn't say that. No, I'm just not. I'm going to say it's a possibility. Yeah. Okay. That's what we're saying right now. So um, for, for yeah. the upshot for UCLA, because um, I think this is the thing that matters most to everyone. Like the dynamics are one thing um, and you you will have to go into tremendous detail about it all again, because that is the the cost of our business. You will have to explain this between four and seven times over the next three days. That's oh, my guess. Dave, I refuse. I don't want to. Yep, sorry. I'm, it's just, it's your lot in life. Uh, okay. But the upshot for UCLA. So here's the reality is Seattle and Washington, they're probably both going to want to be done with their searches by like end of next week. Um, it's not going to take a long time. It rarely does at the NFL level. They do their interviews. They figure it out pretty quickly. So we're going to know pretty darn soon now it's not a guarantee that as soon as a head coach is hired their offensive coordinator and staff gets filled out but it happens a lot quicker at the nfl level than it ever does at the college level because they begin practices they begin otas they begin all that stuff pretty darn quick um they need to start building their plan of what their kind of team is going to be so if this happened it would be in the next two weeks like that it's done so that's an interesting time to hire a college football coach. That's an interesting time to make your decision on your new head coach. There's a lot of things that happened in this cycle. I think one of the things that I think a lot of people are identifying as a missed opportunity on the message board, and which I would largely agree with, is that two guys who were otherwise probably very interested, I know for a fact one of them was, and we have a lot of speculation and smoke that the other one was, Jonathan Smith, the one we know for a fact was interested. And then Jed Fish, who we think was probably very interested. I could I could say right now I have enough from enough sources that both were interested. Yeah. So both of those guys found new jobs this offseason where they're getting paid big amounts of money. And that's not to say they wouldn't again be interested in the future or even right now, but it would take a lot. Um, so suddenly you're kind of a little bit behind the eight ball with a couple with a cycle where there were a couple of head coaching candidates who were among the hottest coaches on the market who UCLA probably would have had somewhat the inside track on. So this puts them in a more interesting position where they've got to take a little bit 
and this is where I, this is my opinion. You have to take a little bit more of a gamble. You have to be a little bit more projecty if you're going to be hiring in the next two weeks where you look at it and you look at coordinators, you look at um, lower level head coaches, the G5 or even whatever uh, levels and see if there's guys you can project. Um, and this is where it's going to be. a. I think it'll be a really interesting challenge for Martin Jarman if this comes to pass. Uh, it's going to be a really interesting challenge to pitch this job to a person because I would say my assessment is that the job is at its lowest point probably in 15 years, something like that. I think there's a lot of value that's been built in the program thanks to Jim Mora and the investments, uh, early Chip Kelly. Um, you know, the building is better. A lot of the apparatus surrounding it is better. But NIL is still right now. Um, maybe there's some things that change in the near future, but still right now pretty behind. Um, the competitive position in UCLA relative to their budget, relative to the Big Ten right now, is a little bit behind. So it takes a little bit more vision to pitch this one. Um, and you've got to identify the right candidate and you have to pitch them on it. And you have to, there's a, there's a, it's a narrower Venn diagram than it usually is when UCLA is hiring would be my kind of assessment of the whole thing. Uh, not only because of time, but also because of UCLA's job position right now. So it makes for a really interesting challenge, I think, for, for Martin Jarman going into uh, if this if this happens, uh, if he ends up having to hire in the next two weeks. If this happens. Um, there's maybe something else to consider, too. He just he just uses an interim coach for, for a year. You could do that. The problem is you have to make it an interim who is a true interim, um, or it's basically what you've already uh, – what you do with an interim is you either make it some – you know, grandee who has no shot at the job or you're opting for probably an internal staffer who you're saying this is a one-year audition. Um, either one of those though, is that superior to taking a shot on somebody who's promising outside of the program? I, I think you, um, my opinion is the interim might set you back a little because yeah. uh, let's just face it. Let's say if this does happen, Chip Kelly leaves you've got to predict there are going to be a lot of UCLA players that go into the transfer portal. Yes. Um, to bring them back um, to then recruit and even put a team together for next season, it would be hard to do with a guy who has an interim tag. Right. I, I think that would be, that might be difficult. Yes. Um, they, you might need just someone, a coordinator, a, a, mid-major coach, a G5 coach to uh, instill some hope to, to keep some guys on the program and to be able to bring in some other guys, maybe in the spring transfer portal. Yeah. Um, I, I think, I think it's worth like you and I have always said, this is what this should be. Now it should be the mindset of uh, uh, athletic department should be we give a coach three years and we keep rolling the dice, especially at UCLA and most of the programs across the country. We're going to keep rolling the dice at three year intervals until we hit pay dirt. Yeah, and that's what we were saying it, when Steve Alford was hired. Yeah. Instead and of doing that, do this. Yeah. And it's worth it for a few reasons. The hit, the hit rate for these types of guys has been pretty good lately. Right. I mean, there are enough coordinators, uh, mid-major coaches who have turned out to be great coaches just on the Pac-12 level. You have that. So, I mean, I don't know what the percentage would be, but it's not horrible. And then secondly, again, you're getting some hope. Hope is what you can sell. Hope sells tickets. Hope brings people to the game. Hope I mean, look recruits. at Dillingham at – Arizona State, what did they go last year? Did they like win four, four and eight? Something like four that. and eight. That program has hope. Their their um their attendance was fairly high. They're recruiting well. Three and because nine. Three and nine. And one of those wins. Man. Um at three and nine, he's able to sell hope. He is selling more hope in recruiting better than UCLA did at Eight and five. Yep. Um, so hope is a real commodity. 
So those two things make me think you roll the dice if this happens, if Chip Kelly does move on. And when people, let's, let, I know we'll have to repeat this f- not 48 times, but probably 50 more times. Um, when people say, why do we want to do this? Isn't it better to have Chip Kelly for another year? No. no and it's, and it's just because there's no hope and you got a pretty decent chance that you're going to hit, you're going to hit gold. So yeah. I, everyone's just so bemoaning and belaboring, you know, who are we going to get? Who are we going to get? Aren't you, ex- if this happens, wouldn't you be more excited about this young guy who's got a lot of energy? He's going to recruit his ass off. Who's bought in. He's sleeping in his office. He's, I mean, yeah. he is hungry to, to win at this level. That's well, what UCLA needs. You know, I've always said, I've said recently, that's the kind of coach UCLA football needs. And it's funny, they inadvertently, through their own kind of incompetency and lack of vision, they might be limited and have to do what we think would be best for them anyway. Yeah, and that's that's maybe the upshot is this kind of does tie their hands because, look, I don't know if Jed Fish or Jonathan Smith would work out. Jonathan Smith, I was skeptical about because uh, he he hasn't really recruited at Oregon State. Jed Fish, I have a little bit more confidence that he's going to recruit well no matter where he is. But it's still you're taking two head coaches who have already done the job once. It's exhausting. We're learning. I mean, Mick Cronin this year, if he pulls what he's trying to do off where he and we'll talk about basketball in a second, but rebuilding with an entirely new roster, basically, it's essentially like taking an entirely new job. Like, it's exhausting to have to start down again at the bottom of the mountain. And so for a sitting head coach, you've always got to remember that. This isn't their first time doing it. And so there's experience value, but there's also exhaustion. Like, anything you do in life, you have to do it again. It's kind of exhausting unless you're really geared towards process. Um, so there's that. And I, I, I think your point about um, coordinators is right. Like, there's been a lot of hits. Um of late, but even more than that, just from a reality standpoint, given where UCLA is budget wise, given where they are with athletic financing, given where they are with like not even knowing what they have to, they're going to have to pay Cal eventually. Um, building in flexibility so that if it doesn't work out, you're not hamstrung and tied to somebody who's just an albatross. Because the thing is, I mean, look, I don't want to, I don't want to belabor arguments from like three years ago, but. Chip Kelly's been an albatross around this program for three years. Like you, you want to say whatever you want about the first three years of trying to build the thing and how he's going to build it and all that kind of stuff. But they haven't broken through in any real way. They've done middling UCLA the last three years. Like it hasn't, they can spend eight, eight or more wins three straight years, however they want against those schedules. It, it should have been better. Um, and a, a big part of that is just, there's a lot of money tied into it. There's a lot given UCLA's budget situation that they just weren't going to feel very flexible about getting rid of him. Um, UCLA now you can look at the coordinator ranks and what Washington got Kalen DeBoer for was essentially a song. I think they paid him $3 million a year to start out with. And they tried to raise him up to like nine and a half uh, before he went off to Alabama. Uh, Jed fish was not getting, I don't think he was even getting 3 million at Arizona. Kenny Dillingham, I don't think, is getting $3 million at Arizona State. Uh, you can I think Jed all- Fish, he got a, a boost. I think he was just about at four. Yeah, by the time yeah. he was done. But, I mean, when he got hired. Oh, uh, no. I UCLA, think he was three, maybe. Yeah. UCLA, um, I, I think they don't necessarily have to be that low. But they should be targeting guys who would take it at that level because those guys give you flexibility. And you can't convince me there's any less upside than hiring, like, Brent Brennan, like Arizona just did. Um, they're not going to get Jed Fish this cycle. They missed the boat on Jonathan Smith. So what's best after that? And for me, like it's that's when I'm starting to look at like guys who fit that Venn diagram, guys who fit that circle. And one of them, an obvious one to me, Tony White, uh, the defensive coordinator for Nebraska, because he hits a lot of different elements. But I think the most important one is he's only a coordinator. He's a proven coordinator. He's done a good job at Nebraska and before that Syracuse and before that Arizona State. He's been a coordinator for five years. 
He was a hot commodity on the market this past cycle to the tune of getting a raise up to 1.7 million at Nebraska. So there's there's actual interest in this guy. And he's an alum. Now, here's the thing where we've missed in the past UCLA is hiring alums who no one else would hire in a million years. Tony White, provably not that guy. He's already getting paid a good sum to be a defensive coordinator. And Nebraska fans were worried he was going to take the San Diego State job this past offseason. So there's there's some real value there. He's a good defensive coordinator and he recruits and you can get him fairly cheaply. Um, um, but um, a lot of value there. Yeah, I, uh, let's not let's not go down that rabbit hole of candidates. I just uh, wanted I, to put it out there. One no, guy. you threw out the Tony White as an example, and that's yeah. good. But we're going to hold it there because we have kind of policy that served us well over the years to not talk about candidates for jobs that are not open. So, but yeah, that was a good example because we were talking about that type of hire. Um. Yeah, it's 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 going to be very interesting. I'd at least for the next few days. Um, it is it is not made up. It is very real. It very well could happen. It very well might not. That's the best I can tell you at this point, guys. It, you can't. You won't later be able to say, "Oh, you were wrong. You were right." That is, it's it's fluid. And that's where we are right now, and that's how life is. We love fluid. It's an essential building block of life, fluid. Yes, yes, exactly. Without flu, without fluid, literally. Without fluid. We would, we would not be talking right now. We are 70% fluid. I'm going to have some fluid. Yeah, drink some fluid. CBS Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. I'm a citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game for speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor, Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. May 23rd. I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves, demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? Okie <laughs> dokie. Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil. The final season. Streaming May 23rd. Only on Paramount Plus. Fluid, not a good word. We don't okay. like it. Um, basketball, Tracy, basketball is another sport that UCLA plays. Uh, they played it this past weekend. They uh, beat ASU. We talked about that fun game. They didn't beat Arizona. Uh, played a very, very competitive game. Didn't beat them. Uh, 77-71. Uh, t- taken over by the refs in the second half. Um, completely different called game it happens in McHale. I don't think you can get too bent out of shape about it because uh, it happens all the time there. So you kind of have to build that into your calculations. UCLA would have had to play a perfect second half to probably win that one. And they were far from it. Couldn't get the ball into a Dembona. uh, Didn't shoot it as well. Yada, yada played a very competitive game. I don't think it should, you know, detract from anyone's sense that this team is starting to uh, uh, coalesce in a lot of ways. Uh, Tracy. Yes, Dave. I want to lead with this because it's funny. Arizona then followed up by losing to Oregon State last night. Hmm. Did you watch the Jordan Pope shot? I did a number of times. <laughs> it's so funny. He <laughs> said that was his best shot. It was the best shot he's ever made. The announcer was like, oh, they're taking too much time. They're taking too much time. And then he takes one of the worst threes I've ever seen. He was not like, squared. He was floating left. Floating left into the sideline, into the sideline and somehow – uh in, into the end line uh and shoots a rainbow and a it just rainbow it almost through. went out of the frame of the tv frame it was so beautiful and just watching wayne tinkle lift his fist in the air oh that was uh that was a sight for sore yeah arizona basketball dave i know it's one of your favorites mm. to talk about you do miss sean miller though don't you because that 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 Can was your something? main that yeah, was your main star of Can arizona basketball yeah, of course. 
Sean Miller was a better game coach than Tommy Lloyd will ever be. Ooh. Tommy Lloyd Ooh. can't game plan to save his life. He's got a great system. Recruits pretty well, I would say. Uh, but he cannot game plan to save his life. How they did – they must have not watched the UCLA-Arizona State game before playing UCLA because you watched Arizona State help off of shooters on the sideline to double down on Adembona for that entire first half, and each time Dembona kicks out for an open three right back to the guy who passed it into him. That happened over and over again. And then you open the game against UCLA doing the exact same thing. Yeah, but the theory for a coach would be that was just, uh, you know, uh, it, it was a one-off. Uh, their oh. stat, they go by stats. They say over the course of the season, UCLA hasn't shot like that. But the difference right. that we've been emphasizing – Yeah, the difference we've been emphasizing this week, and I asked Mick Cronin about it in uh, the availability – Yesterday, God, that felt like it was about five days ago. Um, there's a difference for shooters when the ball's kicked out, they're fairly open, they're squared up, and the pass is coming right into their hands at where they catch it to shoot as opposed from the side. There's a lot of these little details that lead to better three-point shooting. So True, but a Dembona, more important than anyone else in this scenario, uh, teams have had very little success doubling down on him from the perimeter at any point this season. Uh, where they've had success is doubling from behind, late double, as he's spinning, and he turns it over like 100% of the time. Neither of those teams figured that out. Arizona finally did in the second half. Um, but really all they were doing was more ball pressure and aggressively fronting. Um, just bad coaching. Like the thing is why UCLA hasn't been hitting those threes. They haven't been getting those threes. That's what, like, that's where I was going. They weren't not, not getting those specific kind of uh, threes that are uh, higher percentage shots. Yeah. Rather than catching it floating one way instead of straight on squared up balls, hitting you right in the hands for like, you know, a, 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 that stance and it hits you right in that shooting in, in your shooting hand. And it goes straight up. UCLA shooting 37% in the last three games. And that's yeah. a big contributing factor why they're doing that. Yeah. Anyway, Tommy Lloyd, not a good game coach. Um, UCLA basketball. And, uh, well, let's talk a little bit, though. I just want to uh, – because I, I I think facts are important. Mm. Mm. We like facts. Um, there was an incident after the UCLA basketball game. Uh, the players were walking off through a tunnel. Uh, there were Arizona fans uh, in the stands on the side of the tunnel. I've heard this from half a dozen people, two people who were not, uh, well, one who is completely not related to UCLA at all. What they observed were Arizona fans um, leaning over and putting their cell phones right in the faces, like a couple of inches away from the UCLA players as they were walking through that tunnel. The scenario also included uh, Arizona security, and there was a state trooper, I believe, standing there also, who did not restrain those fans from, from doing that. Now, this very easily, all you needed was one UCLA player to just hit that, hit one of those phones out of the way, right? Hit an arm. He would have been charged with battery. Um, you got to give a lot of credit to the UCLA players who did not do that. Um, Darren Savino, the assistant coach of UCLA, was attributed with saying Arizona is the uh, Arizona has the worst class fans in the Pac-12. Um, I have it on very good authority. He did not say that. That was mistaken for someone else. So that reporting was wrong. Uh, any other version of what happened there, like our friend Ben Bolt of the LA Times witnessed it with his eyes. He only got his phone up to take that video like 15 seconds late. Ben Bolt saw it. Ben Bolt's why would he? He's not a Bruin. He's not making up crap. He saw it. Uh, sorry, Ben. I just cited you, but I thought you'd be okay with me doing that. Um, that's just again, the players didn't take the bait. They could have just hit their hand, uh, raise their hand and knock the, uh, one of the 
fans hands out of the way and they probably would have been charged while the security guards and you can see this in in ben's video while the security guard and that policeman are kind of smirking and laughing doug erickson i don't even know what his title is now doug's had a lot of titles with the ucla basketball program he's like director of operations or something (laughs) um he wears the mini me suit sometimes. Yeah. Very, he's very cute. Um, mm-hmm. he, he kind of lost it. I think, I think the fan got confused with wh- whoever reported that it was Savino, uh, got him confused with the words that came out of Doug Erickson's mouth and Doug got mad. Um, didn't do anything I- inappropriate, but you know, raised his voice at the fans and the UCLA, uh, people there were, asking the security guards why are you not stopping them and they they pretty much just smirked so those that's what happened and i just wanted to lay that out because i know everyone was curious exactly as to the details mm. i'm of two minds about continuing uh the arizona series i'm not and it, it really has uh, i mean here's my thoughts one um it would be very funny and detrimental to Arizona as a program to stop playing the game. Like it would be funny because it would be a, well, we don't need this. You guys need this, but we don't need this. Um, so there's that. But two, um, it is UCLA's uh, major and historic basketball rival. Um, it's the best West Coast rivalry. It generally brings out the best in both teams when they play. And Playing in McHale is a pain in the ass and it sucks and those fans are horrible and they do, you know, again, like I said, uh, one podcast about a year ago, it's as if most Isley had a basketball team. Uh, but that's part of playing like in a heated rivalry on the road is you end up with uh, some unwashed fans who are uh, getting in your face and doing that sort of stuff. And I don't I, like it's there's been some vile things that have happened. Um, and I, I don't know how you square it with like the general rivalry stuff, but I don't know. Maybe you make that I, conditional I, upon agreeing to a agreeing to the game is like, look, if you don't start controlling your fans, we're not going to continue this. So, no, I, I just don't. I think it's pretty easy. You just don't go to McHale. Uh, I mean, you, you hype this up as the best rivalry on the West Coast and. Um, they're coming from different corners and they're fighting on a, on a neutral stage. I mean, that's what you do. The Arizona fans can show up, but there's going to be real security there. <laughs> um, I, I don't think it's not even that the UCLA coaches or the UCLA players don't want to go there because they can't take it. It's a safety issue and, no, and, no, no, and a danger issue. I mean, the year before, the danger wasn't to Hep Cronin what one of the fans were going to do. The danger was that Hep was going to punch him. Yeah. That was the – why risk this? This is just beyond anything. You can still play Arizona. Just don't do it in McHale. Go to a neutral site. Yeah. Not as much fun. It's not, but, you know, when you're worried about your dad punching someone – you're worried about your players being charged. If they, if one of them had just lifted his hand, you know he would have been charged right now. And other, and you got to think that there's other, there have to be other issues of safety. Just, just not worth it. Yep. So that's that. Arizona, uh, UCLA will play them. I think it's the final week of the regular season again uh, at home. Um, I doubt uh, there'll be anybody spitting or uh, getting in fights with. Uh, Tommy Lloyd's dad in the stands. Um, but basketball, um, probably the broader question for a lot of UCLA fans um, in the midst of this season, but just looking ahead, is what is this roster construction going to look like going forward? How are they going to build rosters going forward? Um, you know, this, this international surge that UCLA's had, is this going to continue? Are they going to continue prioritizing international prospects or is it going to be returned more to the domestic prospects? Lots of questions abound at this point. Um, what's, what's your, what's your latest, what's your take on all of this? Not just take, but just some, you know, 
some intel too. Uh, first off, the over the overview here is never in the history of well college football, college basketball, is roster uh, construction and management where it is right now. Uh, usually, a coach we're in February has a depth chart, a projected depth chart for the next year, and even the year after that. And it can be relatively, it'd be relatively accurate. You got a sophomore in two years, you know, he's probably a senior. (laughs) Now you can't, you, they can't do that. You can't even project the next year. They, from UCLA standpoint, how many guys are going to stay or, okay, will a Dembona go in the NBA draft? Will so many of the freshmen stay? Will the European freshmen go back to Europe? You, you just can't tell. There's there's no way to know what the roster will, will look like. So what you have to do is the season is over. You have a meeting with all your players. You find out what their intentions are, and then you go into the transfer portal and start recruiting it. But we've seen that before. Jules Bernard waited until the very last day before he committed to go pro. That's fraught with danger also. But that's all they can do at this point. So... It's crazy. I think you can probably expect, and it's not necessarily, I'll say this, it's not necessarily that um, who decides to return to UCLA. It's also who Mick Cronin decides to keep. Um, and you can cite that he didn't run off players. He, No one can run off a player. You can't, you can't pull anyone's scholarship, but you can have them come into your office and say, hey, you're not playing next year. Um, Mac Etienne, uh, Abramo Zonka, those guys, uh, from my understanding, the staff really lo- love those guys as people, but they saw the writing on the wall that they probably weren't going to have a lot of playing time, so they moved on. That's that's kind of the way it's done. That might ha- I don't know who the staff would do that with on on this roster. I think it's going to I think it's going to happen. So there's that element too on who would be here. All in all. UCLA has one open scholarship. It's getting Kenny Nwuba's scholarship back. So it has at least two. You can guarantee among those two that UCLA will go after a shooter. I think that's pretty well accepted from the sources who I talk to. Done. Second one, um, I I would have to think they'll go after a post player. Uh, The top three... um, priorities would be a shooter, a post player, a plug and play post player, and then uh, a point guard. That's the way, that's what I see them doing. I see them having at least three. Uh, I'm sorry, Eric Freeney will be signed. So they, uh, they have two Eric Freeney signed. So they'll have one available. Um, let's say a Dembona go, goes, they have two. I bet they have, they end up at least having three. Those will be the priorities in the transfer portal. From what I have gathered is that UCLA going forward will not emphasize international recruiting as much. Um, And it's not just because of the result of what happened of this recruiting class. It's, it's a lot. It it is so much more difficult to recruit internationally than you could ever imagine. Then recruiting them into school was like a nightmare. Yeah. Just, just going overseas to see them in person, um, you know, off our Zooms, <laughs> you know, talking, uh, trying to communicate in other languages and the whole handler entourage is on a whole different level. And then you got the club teams and then you got the academics. Yeah. It's a pain in the ass. So um, I'm not saying they never will look internationally, but I think it will not be emphasized. Uh, I think, Mick Cronin, I think we've learned, and I I would think Mick Cronin's learned that he needs experienced guys who are not freshmen, not 17, 18, 19 years old, guys who have played college basketball, guys who have uh, who are tough, uh, tough-minded, who are driven to get where they want to go, uh, mature, know the work ethic and the amount of work they need to put in. That's the Mick Cronin guy. He can pick those guys up in the transfer portal. Now you got to do a lot of vetting because a lot of guys who go into the transfer portal are doing it for 
none of those reasons. <laughs> so, but I think they they'll be able to vet. So I think the transfer portal will be good to Mick Cronin. Uh, I think it's a good fit for him. Um, that will be the first priority, and then they'll they'll you know high school players develop develop those guys while also trying to pick off an occasional five star guy. I think that's the way forward for them. Um, but it's going to be crazy when this season's over and the transfer portal um, fires up and we find out what happens with some of uh, the personnel that's uh, currently on the roster. Anything could happen at this point. It truly can. Uh, I mean, I, I know there are some opinions about uh, some of the European players and all I can say is talking about fluid, that could change day by day with, yeah. with their opinion of, of, of what they're going to do. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of where we are. And it's, it, it's, but it's a whole new world in recruiting. These coaches have so much more work to do than they ever did before. I think um, that all sounds uh, good. I, I think if I was ordering the priorities for UCLA, um, I think we've seen in the last couple of games, um, there's a there's a deficit of playmaking, I would say, on the wing. Um, but I don't know that the like deficit is quote unquote shooting. Like I think a big problem with the current roster construction is that none of those guys can playmake really from the wing, aside from I, I it depends on what you think of a Sebastian Mack, but he's a guard, he's not a wing. Um but, but he's playmaking from the wing. Right, but he's yeah. you, you know what I mean. You've got yeah. no like six six guy who's making his own shot and doing that sort of stuff. So when I'm looking at it, I, I'm saying, okay, you need either one of two things. You need either that guy or you need a point guard, because a point guard changes a lot of the dynamics. If you've got a real point guard who can distribute, you're getting the ball in these spots without actually having to do all the post entry stuff that they're having to do to get open shots right now. Like you've got a guy who can drive and dish a little bit more. Maybe that becomes Sebastian Mack at some point. Maybe Dylan Andrews gets everything together and figures it out. But I, I'm looking at it like one of those needs to be the number one. And I think, you know, you're saying shooting. That's fine. But I would have point guard interchangeable. One of those two needs to happen. The other big one for me is um, a Dembona. So right now, if you're looking at him as an NBA prospect, he's what, – what do we think he is? Six, eight? Six, eight and a half. Six, eight and a half. Um, really, really good athlete. Um, still not very skilled. Um, rim runner. But there's a lot of rim runners in the NBA who are bigger and more or less just as athletic. Um, like, not maybe not quite, but just pretty close. Um, I don't think he's like a, a super high draft pick. Um, he's probably still fringe, you know, second round-ish. Uh, come up with some NIL money for that guy pay him a million dollars a year and see if he comes back. Uh, Cause I think that's got to be a huge priority for next year is somehow retaining the best qualities of this current team because the Dem bonus development this season. I mean, you talked about it with Mick yesterday. Uh, if you haven't watched that interview, go watch it because um, a lot of good stuff on Bona, but his development as a player this season has been one of the most promising things. And for a developmental coach, that's what you want to retain. You want to retain the successes of your development because that's going to continue because clearly he has the right mindset. Clearly he has the right work ethic or whatever it is that makes you amenable to development. And you've got to be excited about his prospects as a junior. And I think he fits, you know, he was a five-star, but I think he fits that kind of mold of a very, very good college player who has the flaws that you need to retain, but you're going to need some money to retain him. Yeah, there's, as you know, that all makes so much sense, Dave, and you're a very smart guy who has a, a really incisive look into that. And yeah, that, that means nothing when it comes to these guys making a decision. <laughs> nothing. I, I mean, we've seen it all. We've seen how many guys have, you, you basically could interchange a, a different name there and yeah, they still decided to go to the NBA. And, um, I think there's an element of that with Bona. I think there's an element with that with every player who's a potential NBA draft. There are forces around him. And I keep, I've always, this is one of the things I've tried to convey and, I, and I've failed miserably. You just can't imagine what their environment is like and what their whole melu 
is like around them. Um, of NBA, what you just said probably is not in their in his environment, and it it's not being said, and it's not even something that's thought. Um, that's just the way. That's just the way it is. And then there's another element. If you remember last year, the end of the season, there were rumors that uh, Bona might go into the transfer portal. Yep. So what's happening now? I mean, there are plenty of things about the about NIL. I mean, uh, that are just flat out NCA violations as the NCA set up the rules on NIL. I mean, it's just blatant cheating of what people are doing. And in football and basketball, and those are the sports I know, um, the way that people are cheating the most is they are reaching out before a player goes into the transfer portal, they are reaching out. Pro other programs are reaching out to that player and saying, Hey, want to come over here? How much do you want? That is literally happening. And I'm not going to say they are calling them up directly. It might through might be through in intermediaries. But that 100% is how it is so funny. You talk to college coaches, they talk about that like it's not a violation that that's happening out there in the sport. It's it's hysterical. Oh, yeah. Uh, he got a few calls. Is he in the transfer portal? Oh, no. <laughs> okay. Okay. Good. He got a few offers in IL. Wait, I didn't see his name in the transfer portal. Yeah. No, he hasn't. He hasn't entered yet. Yeah. So. That happened a little with Bona last year where some of the people around him, I think, uh, were shopping him around a bit. Um, that's that's all gray area too. I don't think Bona was talking directly to him, but his people of people of friends or relatives of people start calling other programs and say, how, hey, how much NIL? That's a possibility that could have happen to him too if he decides to come back. And as we've all said the way to do that like that is a little sleazy, but a player doing that and trying to get as much money as he possibly can. I, I can't fault him for that. Um, do it with, with Bona. He's getting a certain amount of NIL now, and I'm not going to tell numbers because giving those numbers away only hurts UCLA. Uh, but let's say if UCLA lost a couple other guys and they could get some NIL back from that, and I, from what I've heard, I think the NIL situation will be improving soon. Um, they might be able to 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 uh, put a whole package for Bona, <laughs> a Bona package, a Bona package on the table. <laughs> <laughs> Just lay one out there. <sighs> oh God, um, that might convince him to. You know, it might not convince him. It might make him think about it. Yeah. Um, so there is that, but it's too early to even to even know right now. Yeah. I mean, the well, first thing the first thing he's going to do is finish the season and get his NBA uh, evaluation. Yeah, and uh, and for like even the program generally, they got to see how this season ends. They got to see who's developing because things can. Things can flip. I mean, as you said, with just the situations with the international kids, things can flip. But also their development can flip. Like the light suddenly comes on for Alain Fabloy and he's looking more like a player by the end of the year. Or Jan Vide's six minutes turn into 18 in the next couple of games. Like things can happen pretty quickly where suddenly the complexion of what you need or how it's going to work going forward changes. I mean, yep. if we go back again to the analogy... 2019-2020, there was a lot of talk that Mick was going to have to jettison half that roster midway through January in 2020 because it just wasn't working. And, okay, he did his best with these guys, but he's now got to get his own guys in here. And then things flipped. Um, and I'm not saying it's going to happen here. I, I think even with how poorly Tiger Campbell played in the first half of 2019-2020, he still was – you could still see the vision. You could still see his passing ability. Um, that isn't as present with what we're seeing from Dylan Andrews, but uh, things have changed from a lot worse situations to a lot better situations in the past. So it's not, I, I, I wouldn't put it past any of these guys to suddenly develop um, more and make it, you know, 
oh, well, I don't need to go reload with three or four new guys. I can reload with one guy or two guys, and we can maintain some roster continuity. Uh, a lot's going to be better known in a month and a half than it is right now. I, I think there's that's a really good point from one from uh, I think it's for any program, but even more so for uh, a Mick Cronin program. Maybe you could go out and get okay. There's let's say you can you have two options. You've got an existing player who's hasn't been great, but he plays hard. He's shown flashes, hasn't really uh, consistently delivered on what you wanted him to be, but like, uh, like a, a program guy works his ass off a Mick Cronin guy. Then you have a more talent. You have a talented transfer. Who's first off transferring. So now you got to vet him to see why is he transferring? Um, it, you think, Oh, just go for the transfer. He's more talented. There are, there are things to consider with the Mick Cronin program. There, are, there's a guy who's run the gauntlet of that program and he knows what it takes and everyone gets better. Every, when there's very infrequently, I mean, there have been instances when people don't get better, but people generally get better as they stay in college basketball. So you'd have to think, is this worth it to replace this guy with, with this guy? Mm -hmm. Um, so that is a consideration too. And you know what I got to mention? Um, we're talking about potential post players. Come on, Maluak, Maluach. He is a 7-2 guy who was reclassified to the 2024 class. He plays with the NBA Academy uh, Africa. He's um, he's a beast. <laughs> he's like 7'2", 7'1", 235 pounds, Uh UCLA is involved with him, and uh, I know uh, Cronin is is recruiting him very heavily. He's already officially visited Duke. His plans are to visit UCLA, Kansas, and uh, the G League. Isn't it funny you visit the G League um, sometime in the? I think by the end of February, uh, UCLA will have a have a chance. Of course, you're going up against the NIL Bentley of college basketball with Duke who literally are laying out millions of dollars in NIL money. Um, so we'll, we'll see how they do there, but that I, I I'm not going to hype up this kid that he'll come in and immediately play because I haven't watched him enough. His evaluation is that he would be a guy who would come in and, and play as a freshman um, that he's first off strong and physical enough to be able to play college basketball. Now, whether he's playing 28 minutes, 38 minutes, that's a difference. Um, you know, every freshman post has foul trouble, but he would be able to play. So that that is also an option in the post. Okay. 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 Well, uh, roster construction is going to be something we will continue to uh, pay attention to over the next several months um, because, as Tracy pointed out, I mean, it could look wholly different in four months than it does right now. It could look largely the same. It, it, there's a lot of different ways this roster could go. Right now, though, um, you know, obviously some needs, and maybe those get addressed with development over the next month and a half, or they will get addressed in the transfer portal. And um, and one thing to say too, it changes the way we we report. Like right now, I usually would be saying UCLA has three scholarships to give to 2025, and these are the guys at these positions and doing these nice, big, pretty stories. It's a, I can't talk about how many it's hard. You, you, it's impossible to say how many scholarships they have or even what their needs would be. I, I know who UCLA is recruiting and I put it up in on 24 seven. It's in, it's in, you know, you just go up to uh, basketball recruiting and hit on targets and that thing is accurate and update. But I, it's difficult for me at this point to write a story about, these are the scholarships and these are the target. I mean, uh, these are scholarships available. These are the positions of need. And these are the targets that they're going after at those positions. Literally impossible. <laughs> I mean, uh, we have a list of who they're recruiting. I know that, but literally impossible to, to do a story like that. So I know y'all want it. And I, as we get closer to spring, I'll be able to do something better. 
because I'll know more. But at this point, one of those stories, uh, I, I mean, is kind of just nonsense. <laughs> yeah. Well, not nonsense. I, I mean, I could say how UCLA is doing with each one of them, but it'd it's be very still, narrow. It wouldn't, it'd it wouldn't be very be, narrow. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's ki- in the t- 2025 class, p- kids right now are concentrating on their, on their June high school, junior seasons. They got their head down. They're not thinking that much about recruiting. That's why I'm, I'm telling you in spring when their season's over, then they start looking to recruiting. Yeah. Well, okay. Okay, Dave. That feels like it's about uh, about it for us, Tracy. Uh, it's it for me. I'm taking You're, off the rest of the day. I'm gone. You're drained. All right. Well, for Tracy Pearson, I'm David Woods, Bruin Report Online, and we will talk to you again next time. See you all. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball and baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does, (laughs) nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.